Follow in your Bibles as we read today in Luke chapter 1, verse 15. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. Speaking of John. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God, and he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zacharias said to the angel, Whereby shall I know this is true? For I am an old man and my wife well stricken in years. And the angel said unto him, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God. And I'm sent to speak unto thee and to show thee these glad tidings. And thou behold, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. Now skip over to verse 26. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel, same one, was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail thou that are highly favored, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring, bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the Highest shall overshadow thee, Therefore also that holy thing that shall be born in thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold thy cousin Elizabeth, she also hath conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for this Christmas season. We thank you, Lord, for the message of Christmas, for the story of Christmas. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us as we look into some details about that today. I ask that you might give enablement to bring the message, because, Lord, without you we can do nothing. And I am an unworthy vessel, but I thank you, Lord, that you use, because of your grace, you use people who are unworthy. And, Lord, you can do mighty things through your word, and I pray that you would do that today. Convict our hearts where they need convicted. Stir us, Lord, where we need to be stirred. And I pray that you would move us to make uh, changes that we might, might need to make in our lives. And if there's somebody who's here today who's not saved, I pray that today would be the day of salvation for them. Thank you, Lord, for this day. We ask you to bless the message now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The Bible tells the story of the birth of a Savior of the world and the promised Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Many personalities are involved in this story, quite possibly more than in the account of any other person's birth. Now, I can't prove that, uh, but it's very possible that there are more people involved in the birth of Jesus and the, the account of his birth uh, 
than any other person. But this should not surprise us because this birth was planned before the foundation of the world and accomplished by the one who actually wrote the account. And so, since he is God, there are no details that were forgotten and no persons that were involved are overlooked. And so God just lists all these people. And so that's why I've entitled the message this morning, God's Christmas Personalities. When we examine the two counts of Jesus' birth in Matthew and Luke, we find that 16 names are given of persons who are alive and involved at the time of his birth. Two persons were involved whose names are not given, and that's the innkeeper, and uh, it says there was no room for them in the inn, so it doesn't say there was an innkeeper, but we figure there must have been. And then also another person involved is the person Satan. He was definitely involved. His name is not given in the account, but we can see him working in the background. And so he was involved. Four groups of individuals were, were included that were not individual names, but individual groups. And these were the shepherds. We don't know how many of there were. And the wise men, even though a tradition says there were three, probably based on the fact that the three, three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, But uh, we don't know how many wise men there were, but there was that group of wise men. There were also the group of the the chief priests and scribes that Herod consulted to find out where the Christ child was to be born. And so that was a group. And also there's probably heralds. Now, those are not mentioned in the account, but they are sort of assumed because it says Caesar Augustus sent forth a decree. In those days, the way they uh, heralded the they told people about the decree was they sent heralds out who heralded that message, and they sometimes would cry that message. So maybe there were heralds involved as well. One prophet is named in the account. His name is Jeremiah. And two, two prophets are not named, but it's recorded to what they said in the Scripture, and that was Micah and Isaiah. Micah uh, telling about the birthplace, and Isaiah telling about uh, he was born of a virgin. One person of the past who is not a prophet and not included in the genealogies is mentioned. Her name is Rachel. In the genealogies, I wrote all these down to see if I could get the exact number, and I found out that Matthew listed 45 names in the genealogy. And then in Luke's genealogy, he mentions 74 names. So all kinds of personalities involved in this Christmas story. Yes, many personalities were involved in the account of the birth of Jesus Christ. I wonder this morning, with all of those people, how many of you could mention 10 without looking at your Bible? How many of you could bring up 10 names without looking at your Bible? It's a challenge you might take upon yourself later. This morning, we will look at the personalities of Christmas and then draw some observations from those Christmas personalities. Some of the individuals we will mention are not known by many of today because uh, many today pay little attention to the Bible and they really don't uh, pay much attention to the biblical account of the birth of Jesus Christ. But the world does emphasize a person uh, during Christmas and that uh, is not known of and not spoken of in the scripture. And of course, you know, his name is Santa Claus. He is not involved in the Christmas story. Yet many children know more about Santa Claus and know little or nothing about the Lord Jesus Christ. And I hope that none of you 
uh, slight the Lord Jesus Christ during this time as you magnify the wrong person who is not listed in the biblical account. Now let's look at some of the of God's Christmas personalities. In doing this, we're really going to go through the Christmas story. But let's share some of these Christmas personalities. Now I've prepared all of this in, in a sheet of paper, and it's up here front. I didn't pass it out to you because I didn't want you to look ahead at what I was going to say. And I didn't want you to come to the final point I was going to make before I get there. But afterwards, all of these personalities, and I've done a lot of work. I had this I did this uh, some time ago, and, uh, but I read through it and found out I'd missed several. And then there was just some corrections I made. It ended up being an entirely different sheet, and so those are available for you after the service. But let's look at the personalities involved in the Christmas story. First of all, God was involved. In fact, the Trinity was involved, all three persons of the Trinity. God the Father was involved. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth. So God sent the angel Gabriel. So God the Father is involved. God the Son is involved. Luke chapter 1, verse 32 and 35 calls him the Son of the Highest, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, and also calls him the Son of God. So the Son of God is involved. The Holy Spirit is involved. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 1, verse 15, that uh, John was filled with the Holy Ghost. And so the, the forerunner of Jesus was filled with the Holy Ghost uh, from early in his childhood. And then Luke chapter 1, verse 35 says, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee in answer to Mary's question, Who shall this, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the answer of the angel was, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. So the Holy Spirit is involved. And then in Matthew's gospel, he says that, that Mary was found with child of the Holy Ghost. And so the Holy Spirit, the Son of God, and God the Father are involved in the Christmas story. Also, angels are involved in the Christmas story. Now, I don't think anybody's birth here, the account of your birth, would involve angels. It definitely involves God, but probably doesn't involve angels. But Jesus' birth did. First of all, there's the angel Gabriel. In Luke chapter 1, he appeared to Zacharias to tell of the birth of John. It was a great surprise to Zacharias because he was old and that his wife was going to have a child. He couldn't hardly believe that, but Gabriel was the one that told him that. And then later in Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 37, we find the conversation that Mary had with Gabriel as Gabriel tells her that she's going to have a child and she's not married, she's never been with a man, and how is that going to happen? He revealed the Holy Spirit is going to make it happen. And so Gabriel told her that. And then there's the angel of the Lord, referred to as the angel of the Lord, probably different than Gabriel. In Luke chapter 2, it was the angel of the Lord that appeared to the shepherds and told them about the birth of Jesus that took place in Bethlehem. And then there was the multitude of the heavenly hosts that joined the angel of the Lord and sang glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. And then there was an angel of the Lord, we're, we're told in, Luke, in Matthew chapter 2, that warned Joseph in a dream not that he needed to go to Egypt to escape Herod, who was going to try to kill all the babies. And so those angels are involved in this account of the Lord's birth. Also, there were prophets involved. So God was involved, angels were involved, 
prophets were involved. Isaiah was one. In, my, in Matthew chapter 1, it quotes Isaiah as foretelling the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. They was born of a virgin. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Thou shalt call his name Emmanuel. That comes from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And so Isaiah was involved. Also, Micah was involved. In Matthew chapter 2, it foretold the birthplace of the Lord Jesus. You remember the scribes, the chief priests and scribes were consulted by Herod. And they said, the scripture says that he's to be born in Bethlehem. And they quote the scripture, and that comes from Micah chapter 5, verse 2. And so it's Micah. Also, Jeremiah is involved in this birth account. And the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 2, he foretold the killing of the babies. It says a prophet foretold that this would happen. Rama, and it mentions Rama, and then Rachel is weeping for the children. And it it prophesied what was going to happen when Herod killed all the babies. And so Jeremiah is involved. So you have Isaiah and Micah and Jeremiah, three prophets involved in this Christmas story. And then we go to the people involved in the Christmas story. We start with Zacharias and Elizabeth. You remember in Luke chapter 1, we read part of it. God told Zacharias that he was going to have a child. They were an aged couple, and he was up in years. He said, I'm an old man, and my wife, is, we're well stricken in years. And evidently, they had prayed a long time ago before for a child, but they didn't have a child, so they just consigned themselves. It wasn't God's will. And then all of a sudden, when he was ministering in the temple, as an old man, the Lord says to him through the angel, uh, your wife is going to give birth to a child. And so Zacharias and Elizabeth are involved, and Elizabeth then uh, conceives by Zacharias, and she has a child who is six months older than Jesus. And he turns out to be the forerunner, and that next person we're going to mention is the forerunner, and that's John the Baptist. So John the Baptist is involved in this Christmas story, and he's the forerunner of Jesus. He was born six months ahead as Jesus, as we said, and so by the time Jesus was an adult getting ready to start his ministry, uh, John was on scene, and he started uh, being the forerunner of Jesus, telling people about the, that Jesus was coming, and the Messiah was coming, and so G- John the Baptist is involved. And then there's Mary. The Bible says in Luke chapter 1, verse 26 and, and through 53 about Mary, and that she was a virgin. She was a spouse to Joseph. So, so, so she was engaged to Joseph, and she was a virgin, and she was highly favored of God. God looked down and saw what was going on. And by the way, God all, always sees what's going on, and God was pleased with this young lady and her, her um, conduct and how she kept herself pure. And the Bible says that she, was, she conceived of the Holy Spirit, and uh, she, she, was a, she was expecting And so she was expecting, and then the Lord said, now just to prove to you that this is going to happen, that uh, you're going to have a child even though you've never known a man, I want you to go visit Elizabeth. So she goes to see Elizabeth. And she goes to see Elizabeth, and when Elizabeth answers the door, she's taken back even though God had told her that this older woman is expecting. She's six months pregnant this time. And uh, so they had a good conversation, no doubt, and, uh, but that's Mary. And uh, then the Bible says that Mary gave birth to Jesus, that familiar account in Luke chapter 2. 
that, Gary, that Mary gave birth to Jesus, and they're in a stable, and we know the story. And then there's another character of the Christmas story, a personality, and his name is Joseph, of course. The Bible says of him that he was a just man. That means that he, was, he lived a righteous life. He was a godly man. He did what was right. He was determined to do what was right. He was engaged to Mary, but they had not yet been together as a man and wife. He, he was, and uh, so he was surprised when Mary came back from Elizabeth's house, he saw her. And she at this time was probably four months, maybe three to four months pregnant, probably four months by that time. As she goes to Elizabeth's house and comes back and there's some time and she finally sees Joseph and Joseph meets her and he's surprised. He doesn't know what to do. He's troubled and he goes home and uh, he lays down to sleep and he was minded to put her away privately, the Bible says, because he didn't want to embarrass her, but he knew she had been unfaithful and he could not take her as his wife. And so he lay down to go to sleep, and and the angel appeared to him in a dream and said, "Uh, Joseph, do not be afraid to take unto thee Mary thy wife, because that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And so Joseph, being a just man, believed that. I mean, this is impossible. This has never happened. But he believed it. That shows the kind of man he was. And he rose from his sleep, and he went to pursue and get Mary and let her know he understood. And so uh, the Bible says he took her to be his wife, and he knew her not, he was not intimate with her, until after Jesus was born. Now that took a man of, of uh, determination to obey, obey God. That's the kind of man Joseph was. And then another person in the account is the innkeeper. As we said, he's not named. It just says there was no room for them in the inn. So after uh, Joseph and Mary were, had to go to Bethlehem uh, to be taxed, to be registered for taxation, then they had to get a place to stay in Be- Bethlehem, and they came up to the inn, and, and it was a busy time because other people were there for the same reason, and there was no room for the inn. It's like saying today all the hotels and motels are full. All the bed and breakfasts are full. No place to stay. And this innkeeper must have been a kind man. And he said, I hate to turn you out completely, but I'll let you stay in the stable where the animals are. And so they went there for the birth of the child. So there's the innkeeper. And then after the birth of the child, there were the shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, an angel of the Lord appears to them and says, you know, there's born unto you today a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And uh, so they went to see him. So these shepherds were out there, out there taking care of the flock, and all of a sudden this angel appears, no doubt frightens them, and reveals this wonderful message, and then they go into Bethlehem to see. And they found the Christ child, just as the angel had said, uh, Jesus was born. And then several days later, uh, Mary and Joseph went to Jerusalem to present Jesus, as the law said, there in the temple. And while they were there, they met two people, older people. Their names were Simeon and Anna. 
Simeon was an old man, but God had revealed to him something that even though he had, all of his life he had thought about the Messiah and he really believed from the study of the Scripture that that time was coming close where the Messiah would appear. And uh, God revealed to him that I will not let you die until you meet the Messiah. And sure enough, Jesus came in with, or the parents came in carrying Jesus and God impressed upon his mind, this is him. And so he went over and he talked to them and he, and he made the speech that's recorded in the scripture. And, and uh, it's a wonderful uh, illustration of God uh, showing somebody who the Messiah was and them being receptive of that. And it was Simeon. And then there was Anna. She had been a widow for a long time. She'd been married seven years. But now she's been a widow for a long time. And it says she's 84 years old. And so she daily in the temple would be serving the Lord and looking for the, the Messiah. And the Lord revealed to her that this was the Messiah. And so they're involved in the Christmas story. Then sometime later, you remember the Bible says that uh, the wise men came to Bethlehem to see Jesus. It wasn't at the manger. It was sometime later. It might have been two years. Because you remember when they came from the east, and it took them a long time to get there from the east, they saw a star. Now, one of the songs we sang a while ago, a picture of the star appearing day and night and led them. That's probably not what happened. Sometimes songs aren't exactly scripturally correct. The Bible says they saw a star in the east, and it, the Lord revealed to them that this star was special, and it pointed to the fact that there was the king of the Jews had been born. Now, where would the king of the Jews be born? Well, they knew it would be Jerusalem. That's the place, that's the capital, that's where uh, anything special would take place. And so they went to Jerusalem. And the Bible says they inquired, they said, where is he that's born king of the Jews? And as they were inquiring, they found out uh, that, uh, that nobody knew, but uh, the word got to the scribes and the, fair, I mean, the chief priests and scribes. And Herod asked the chief priests and scribes, says, where do your scriptures say he was born? And they said, in Bethlehem. They quoted Micah 5, verse 2. And so he gets the wise men to come to him and says, go find that Christ child. They say he's in Bethlehem. And so when they left to find him, to go to Bethlehem, the star appeared and they were excited because they hadn't seen it for a while probably. It started them off on their journey. They went to Jerusalem and they didn't know where the star was and all of a sudden it appeared again and it moved, it led them to the place. It shows it's a supernatural star. It moved and led them to the place where Jesus was. And they went in and they had presented their, their uh, gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and they worshiped the Lord Jesus and talked with Joseph and Mary. And they got ready to leave, and God revealed to them that they, that they needed to go back another way and not go back and tell Herod, because Herod said, you come back and tell me where he is so I can go and worship him. He wasn't going to worship him. He was going to kill him. And so God warned them not to go back, and they didn't, so they went back to the east another way. And the Bible says that uh, these wise men, uh, had, they had left, and therefore they went another way, and then God warned, we find later in the, in the, in the passage, that God warns uh, Joseph to flee, and so he goes down into Egypt. So all these personalities that are listed in the Lord's Christmas story, but then there are also government authorities that were involved. 
government authorities. There was Caesar Augustus. He was the emperor of Rome. He gave decree for taxation that all the world should be taxed. And then he gave this instruction that in order to be taxed, you had to go back to the, to the city of your, of your heritage, you know, where your fathers were. And so they were from the line of David, so the city of David would be Bethlehem, and that's where they were to go. Now, God knew all this and had it all planned out. And so Caesar thought he was doing what he wanted to do because he wanted taxation, but God, he was a pawn in the Lord's hand, you might say, and God was just directing him to do what he wanted him to do. And so Caesar Augustus is involved in the Christmas story, the emperor of Rome. And then there's Cyrenius, governor of Syria. God gives that detail, maybe just to uh, sort of pinpoint when it was and all that, but that's the only time he's mentioned. And then there was Herod the king. In Matthew chapter 2, we read of Herod. He was, he was threatened by the news that he heard. Where is he that's born king of the Jews? He thought, I'm the king of the Jews. What do you mean, king of the Jews? So if I have a rival, I'm going to kill him. Herod was a ruthless man. He was a mean man. And so Herod sought to kill the Lord Jesus. So he's threatened by that news, and he pretended that he was interested, and he told the wise men, you know, go find him, and then when you find him, bring me word again so I can go and worship him. Of course, God didn't allow that. And so Herod, being the ruthless man that he was, wanted to get the king. And it says that he determined how, how old the child would be. He, would, he determined to kill all the babies, not just the boy babies, but all the babies in Bethlehem and the area surrounding. He didn't want to miss that child. And so he said, I'm going to kill all the babies, all the children up to two years old. And it says that he based that on what he heard from the wise men. So maybe the wise men had traveled a long way, and it might be that Jesus was almost two years old at that time. And so uh, Caesar Augustus gives that decree, and Herod goes about uh, to use that to kill the Lord Jesus. And so he killed all these uh, children. must have been an awful time. That's why the prophet said, uh, Rachel's weeping for her children. And so all these babies were killed by the Romans as Jesus was taken to Egypt to escape that threat. But then there's another person involved. That person is Satan. Now, I don't believe that, I mean, I'm sure that he's not mentioned in the scriptural accounts of Luke and Luke and Matthew. It's not said that, G, that Satan did this. But I know from the study of the scripture that Satan was involved. He was behind Herod. You see, Satan has a desire to destroy the Lord in any way he can. He knew that God had prophesied in Genesis chapter 3, 3, 15, chapter 3 verse 15 that the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent. He knew he was the serpent. And so he wanted to uh, take care of this. And so he made that attempt. That's nothing new to the devil. He had made that attempt at other, time, other times. You remember in Exodus chapter 1, beginning in verse 8, going through verse 22. The king of Egypt, the Bible says, instructed the midwives to kill all the Hebrew baby boys said to the midwives, now when you help the Israelites' women when they're giving birth to a child, and that, that child is a boy, then I want you to kill him. You can spare the women, you can spare the girls, but you kill the boy. Well, the midwives, they just couldn't bring themselves to do that, and they brought up some excuse. You know, well, they, 
these uh, uh, Israelite women, they're lively. I mean, they, they give birth before you ever know it. And before we get there, it's already done. And so they made this excuse, and the children weren't being killed. And then the Bible says this, he instructed all his people, all his people, to cast the baby boys into the water. That would be the Nile River. And he said, I want them to cast all the baby boys into the Nile. I ask you, who was behind that? I think Satan was. Satan was behind it, trying to get at God's people. He knew God had promised that the seed of the woman would brush, would bruise his head, and he wanted to do something about that. And then in the book of Esther, we find in Esther chapter 3, that there was an enemy of the Jews. His name was Haman. And I think the devil was behind him. And here's what Haman said. I want you to destroy, to kill, and to cause to perish all Jews. All Jews. Not just little ones, but he says this, both young and old, little children and women in one day. I want you to exterminate them. Now I ask you, who was behind that? Satan was behind that, I'm sure, trying to eliminate God's people. And then he moves in Herod's time to destroy all the children, two years old and under, just to get at the Christ child. And he probably figured by this time that, that uh, the Christ child, this, one, this must be the Messiah. This must be the one the Lord's talk, talked about in the Scripture. And so he does everything he can. He probably uh, heard what, uh, what the shepherds were told. Maybe he was there that night in that vicinity, and he saw the angel, and he saw what they told the shepherd. Maybe he heard what, the, what was told to the, uh, by the scribes and Pharisees to, to Herod, and then Herod related it to the wise men, and he knew that it was in Bethlehem. He's putting all this together. You see, the devil's not all wise. He doesn't know everything. He knows some of the things God's promised, but he doesn't know unless he sees something happening, and he must have noticed this. And so he goes and he tries to destroy the Christ child. I might, want to, I might say this morning that it hasn't stopped. Even though Jesus has come and he's died on the cross and he's rose from the grave and he's ascended into heaven, the devil is still against the Jewish people. It was seen in the Holocaust when Hitler exterminated all those Jews, millions and millions of Jews. And then it's seen even today when our... In the United States of America, there's probably never been a time when there's been more anti-Semitism. And it really, it really is, is strong on campuses across this nation. People against the Jewish people. Why is that? God, know, God knows that Jews are his people, and the devil knows they're his, that they're God's people, and the devil wants to destroy them. The devil wants to cancel them out. And he'll do that, you remember, in the end time, uh, during the tribulation period, at the end, he, his wrath turns against the Jew, and he wants to do away with the Jew. Uh, the devil has never changed. He's against God, and he's against God's people. And by the way, since we are God's people, not Jewish people, but we're God's people through faith in Christ, he's against you too. And so the devil is involved in the Christmas story. Yes, many personalities were involved in the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, let's make some observations from these personalities that we've mentioned. First of all, we'll make an observation about the genealogies. The genealogies list all these people in Matthew and Luke. 
with many names were included because it was these many names were included because it was important to show that Jesus was the only rightful heir to the throne of David and thus the promised Messiah. Those genealogies show that. They show it because he was descended from Abraham and David. So Jesus was a Jew, by the way. And so if you're against Jews, then you're against Jesus because Jesus was a Jew, humanly speaking. He came into uh, this earth as a Jewish young man, or a baby, and then became a Jewish man. And so he died on the cross as a Jew. He was taking our place. He was our substitute. He was God's gift for us, and he was a Jew. And that's proved by the genealogies. He also escaped the curse of Coniah that we mentioned, I think, last week. Because he had the legal right to the, to the throne of David through, through Joseph, but because of the curse of, of Coniah, which was in, which was in uh, Solomon's line, David and then Solomon's line, the curse of Coniah said nobody from him would ever sit upon the throne. So if Jesus is descended just from David through Solomon, then he would not be able to sit on the throne because of the curse of Coniah. But he was not bloodline to David because David was not his father, physically speaking. He was virgin born. And so Mary's genealogy takes him through from David through Nathan, not Solomon, and escapes that, that, that curse. And so he has the legal right to the throne, and he escapes the curse because of the virgin birth, because he had no sin nature, and he was not physically descendant of Joseph. So uh, the genealogies are important. Also, government authorities were included and demonstrate that their powers cannot stop or thwart God's plan. The emperor of Rome, Caesar Augustus, Cyrenius, the governor of Syria, and Herod, uh, the governor. And then after Herod died, Archelaus, his son, took over. But all of this government authority is no match to God. And that's encouraging today. When we see what's going on in the political scene, to know, to know that God's in charge. And we can rest sure God's will is going to be done, and they will not defeat the Lord the Lord is going to defeat all those who are against him. So government authorities show that God it always wins, even against government powers. The prophets were involved to show that God is all-knowing and had before planned to send the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah of the world. God knew all about this, and the prophets show us that, that God had it all planned, even for the foundation of the world. He had it planned for what he was going to do. Old people are included in in the uh, account. I'm glad for that because I'm getting to the age where I'm considered one of those old, old people. I don't like to admit it, and I usually don't, but uh, I guess it might be true, or at least it's getting close to being true, <laughs> and uh, that old people were involved in this account, though, and that tells us something I think that's very precious, and that is you never get, get too old to be used of God. Zacharias and Elizabeth, Simeon and Anna, and yet God had a purpose for them, and God is not limited by our age. God can do anything. And so what we need to do is to serve the Lord. Also, poor people were involved in this, in this account to show that lack of resources is not a barrier to God. You might say, well, who were the poor people? The poor people in this account was Joseph and Mary. The Bible says in Luke chapter 2, verse 24, when they went to the temple... Uh, usually they would pre present a lamb, but they presented a pair of tur tur turtle doves 
or two young pigeons, what the scripture says, you had to do one of those two things. If you were poor, and that's what they presented, that meant they were poor. And that shows us that if you're poor and you lack resources, that's no problem with God. God can take care of you and God can meet your needs and God can use you for his glory. And then scholars were included in this plan. That's the wise men. They were involved to demonstrate that God can use scholars who follow him. There are a lot of scholars today who have nothing to do with the Lord. They don't want the Lord in their life. They don't want the scripture. They don't go by the scripture and they think they have great knowledge. But they don't. But if you're a scholar who, you, who follows the Lord, God can use you. And these scholars followed the Lord, and God used them, and we still read about them today. Also, shepherds were involved. Shepherds were, were involved to show that God does not base his opinion on, uh, of you on what people think of you. The shepherds were disdained by many people. Uh, they were not liked. They were shunned many times because of their profession and maybe because of their smell, I don't know. But uh, they were sometimes shunned. But the shepherds were often despised, but not despised by the Lord. And what people think of you does not what affect what God thinks of you. So we need to remember that. Then religious leaders were involved to show that God uses those who know the Scripture. Chief priests and scribes studied the scripture and they knew that the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. And they conveyed that message. It didn't turn out the right, right way. Well, it could have turned out the wrong way. And the enemies tried to use it that way, but it didn't. But they were conveying what they knew. They were scholars of the word. And it, but it did lead to the fact that the wise men went to Jesus and they worshiped the Lord Jesus. So religious leaders, what should we do? We should study the Word of God and present the Word of God and present the truth of the Word of God and let God use that. And remind you, Zacharias was also a religious leader because he was a priest. And he was doing what God wanted him to do, and when he was doing what God wanted him to do, God used him in a mighty way. And then angels were involved to show us how God uses them. In this account, God used them to announce Christ's birth. He used them to bring a warning to Joseph, and he used them to uh, worship God. Remember, the, the angel, uh, angels worshiped the Lord. They said, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, priests, goodwill to men. They were praising God, and so the, God uses angels. And, of course, the scripture says that we have guardian angels. The, the angels are ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those that shall be heirs of salvation, Hebrews tells us. And then the Trinity was used in this, in this passage, the Trinity was involved to show that God loved us so much that he sent his son to die to this earth to die for our sins. God did this. God is the one who initiated this. God is the one who planned all this. God is the one who orchestrated all this. Why? Because he loves us and he doesn't want us to die in our sins. He wants us to be saved and live eternity in eternity with him. Satan was involved in the story in this account to show us that he will, he will do anything to fight against God. I, I don't want to drive that home to you. We're almost finished, but remember this. Satan will do anything he can to get at God. He knew that something special was taking place. He probably knew by this time that this was the Christ child that he so much feared. 
and to do away and to, to get at that Christ child, he would do anything. And he destroyed all the baby, all the, all the children, two years old and younger. Can you imagine how ruthless that is and how terrible that would be? For soldiers to come into, into families and just take all their children out that are two years old and under and then probably thrust them through with a sword. An awful time. But the devil will do that. It doesn't bother him. It doesn't bother the devil to destroy your child. It doesn't bother the devil for a young person who has such a promising career uh, to, to get on drugs and then ruin their life and actually take their life. It doesn't, involve, it doesn't bother the devil for a young lady who's so beautiful and so talented and everything to be swept off her feet with a young man who doesn't care anything about morals and to destroy her life and to take away her virginity and to bring a reproach to her. It doesn't bother the devil. The devil is not concerned about you. He doesn't love you. He hates every one of you. In fact, he even hates his, those who follow him. Because he knows he's leading them to hell, and it doesn't bother him a bit. And the Bible's account tells us, illustrates this, that you can't trust the devil, and you're a fool if you follow him. The devil is a loser, but he wants to take as many people as he can down with him. And then Mary and Joseph were involved in this, short, this, this story to show us that God values godliness in individuals. Mary... I remind you, she was a virgin. That is not popular today with the world, but it is popular with God. And young people, young ladies, don't you forget that. Popular, that virginity is popular with God. God wants it that way until you get married. And if you bypass that, then you've gone against the will of the Lord. She chose to wait until marriage to have intimate relationships with a man, and uh, she pleased the Lord. The Bible says she was highly favored. You want to please the world? Then do what they want you to do. But you want to please God? Then you do what he tells you to do. And she was a virgin. And then Joseph. We don't want to forget Joseph because him being in the story illustrates to us that God is very interested in, in men being pure as well. He controlled his passions. He kept Mary a virgin he was a spouse to her, but he didn't say like the world says today, well, since we're engaged, then it's all right. No, it's not all right. It's never been all right and never will be all right. It's still wrong. And the Bible says that Joseph kept himself pure and made sure he kept Mary pure as well. In fact, he was so dedicated that after he married, Joseph, married uh, Mary, the Bible says he did not know her physically, intimately speaking, until the birth of the child. Now that tells us that the Catholic doctrine of the perpetual virginity of Mary is wrong because the Bible says they had other children. But she was a virgin up until, or until after that Jesus was born. And so sexual intimacy is wrong outside of marriage, and this illustrates it in the, in the, in the, in the story of Jesus' birth. We would not have a Savior if there had not been a virgin Mary. Yes, many personalities were involved in the birth of Christ, and valuable truths are taught by them as we've tried to convey. But there's another group of individuals, of personalities who are involved in the birth of Christ as well that we haven't mentioned. And that other group is you. It's us. It's mankind. 
Because John 3.16, probably the best, most famous verse, and but also it's the best Christmas verse, and says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You see, we're involved in the Christmas story. And you, when you really consider the Christmas story, you remember, you know, that, well, it has to be true that there's, there's more people involved in this account than anybody else. I said that earlier, it might be true, but it has to be true. Because involved in the Christmas story is everybody. Why did Jesus come? It was because of you. It was because of me. It was because of all the people who lived before Jesus' birth, all the people who lived after his birth up to this time, and all the people who will live from here on. Jesus came for us. It was all about him. In fact, the next verse of John 3, 16, verse 17 says, For God sent not his Son to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Yes, Christmas is about us. Jesus came for us. Then he went all the way to the cross of Calvary, and he died for our sins, paid the price for our sins, and then rose again from the grave on the third day. He's alive, and he's ready to be any person's savior who will trust him as their, trust him. He offers to be your savior, he wants to be your savior, and he can be your savior. All because he came, and then he went to the cross and died for us. So we all have a choice. Out of all the personalities of Christmas, we can be like Mary, Joseph, the shepherds, Simeon, Anna, the wise men, and we can believe on Jesus and trust him, accept him. Or we can be like Herod and Satan. They were against him and they rejected him. I asked this morning, which side are you on? Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for allowing us to see all these personalities of Christmas. And Lord, I thank you that we can say as we conclude, we're one of them. We're involved. And we thank you, Lord, that you came for us and that you died for us. I pray if there's anyone here today who's never trusted Jesus, that today they would put their faith in him before it's too late. Help us to honor you, Lord, during this time. This is a special time. And I pray that we'll not dishonor you, but we'll honor the one who came to die for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.